Support for Health Matters on MSPR comes from the Northeast Kentucky Area Health Education Center, located at St. Clair Healthcare in Moorhead. Additional information on the Northeast AHEC is available online at neahec.org. Hello and welcome to Health Matters. I am your host and rootin' tootin' health evangelist, oh, no. Dr. Tony Weaver. Can't you just be legendary? No, I think it's time for one of those those hyphenated alliterative adjectives. And rootin' tootin', I decided I was going to be a, a rootin' tootin' radio health evangelist. The last time you were rootin' tootin' was when you were probably six, maybe seven. That hurt? I think you? I think I can root and toot with the best of them even now. Thanks to our listeners at True Talk Internet Radio and a special radio wave to those hardworking folks at the MSU Ronald G. Eaglin Space Science Center. Shelly Irving is out with a family illness tonight, but here to help me out is our rip-roaring co-medical That's host. not hyphenated, by the way. <laughs> it could be. Rip-roaring could be. But it's the same thing. It's alliterative. That's the big thing. Root and tootin', helter-skelter, rip-roaring, itsy-bitsy, teeny-weeny. Do you want <laughs> Come on, keep going. How many you got? <laughs> well, it's top of my head. But to introduce you to how you can access us on the web, should you want to for some reason, Rick Phillips, hey, Rick. Hey, Tony, you know you can get the audio of the show at WMKY.org. That's right. Morehead State Public Radio's website, Find Health Matters, look for the list of shows, pick the little link in there, listen to it. It's an MP3 file. You can download it. You can listen to it. You can take it in your car. You can stream it on whatever device it is you like to play MP3s. Uh, it's all there for your listening pleasure. After that, jump over to Facebook. Find our fan site. It's facebook.com slash show, And from there, you can begin the interactions. You can, you know, leave us some, some uh, feedback. Let us know what you think. Look there at the articles. We post some things that are on the show. We've, most of the stuff that goes on there these days are things that haven't made the show yet, but they're kind of timely and kind of brings up a point that I think, you know, was going to be discussed at some point tonight is, you know, we do tape delay this show, so sometimes Facebook is the best place to get a timely response to something because typically it takes 10 days for our information to hit the air airwaves, and that makes it stale sometimes, right, Tony? Yeah, we try to stick with the stuff that's slow moving and uh, things like this Wuhan coronavirus. It's just simply right now escalating too rapidly for us to give you accurate information. Right. So if you know if you're something if you really want to find the the timely up to date stuff, Facebook.com is where you go. Go to our fan page. You can find it at Facebook.com slash HM Radio Show. Our sponsor for today's show, which by the way, this is a funny thing happened on the way to the caucus show. We are laughing. Is it on the way the... to the caucus or as I was leaving the caucus? <laughs> oh, these caucuses. I mean, honestly. Why right. is Iowa the only place to call it a caucus? They're the only place that's, I'll just say it, that's stupid enough to do caucuses. This, again, these are uh, the idea of caucuses. Uh, they Apparently, they go into well, a room. Can, do we have uh, to say stupid? I do. <laughs> because, I mean, we probably do things with bourbon and horses, and we probably get labeled as hillbilly or stupid. or oh, all the time. And, and we take offense at that. Yeah, sure. And they should, too, because they've got a stupid uh, way of uh, yeah, but doing We're not going to get rid of the bourbon. No, but I, it's a, we'll get there. We'll get there in a minute. At any rate, uh, the last time, I'll, I'll just read this. This is from the Des Moines Register. And typically, is this or is this not the Health Matters Caucus? Well, we caucus together because we discuss things that uh, we. Uh, I mean, we sometimes there's more of us than others, you know. Right, like but we when have a caucus. Shelley actually shows up. Yeah, this is February third, twenty sixteen, the Des Moines Register. 
Uh, this was their editorial. It said, once again, the world is laughing at Iowa. Late night comedians and social media mavens are having a field day with jokes about mix, missing caucus goers and coin flips. Go back. Your date. You're talking about 19, or 2016. This, this was, was three years ago. Four years time. ago. Four years ago. You may remember Hillary Clinton defeated Bernie Sanders by 0.2% in the Iowa caucuses. It was essentially a dead heat with a whole bunch of the caucuses deciding by coin flips. We don't know how many of them decided by coin flips. The delegates were misassigned. Some of the voters were sent home. Uh, they asked for a recount. There was no way Iowa could recount. You can't recount coin flips. And so, essentially, Sanders was left with a second-place finish and no recourse uh, as to uh, checking the numbers, uh, which were absurdly close. Again, it was, they were the laughing stock. So what did they do? They got an app. They didn't test it statewide, but they got an app, and the app was going to uh, put some math into this bizarre system that they use to do their elections. Well, the app didn't work, and so now we're laughing again. And and once again, just like in 2016, the world's laughing at Iowa. The Des Moines Register, I'm sure, is uh, they're fit to be tied because uh, they suggested that there needed to be reforms, and the reforms actually turned out maybe to be even worse than what happened last time. Well, you think in 2024 we can convince them to do something like, say, duck, duck, goose? All right. <laughs> I have here. And I'm, I'm doing this. Uh, we're going out of season. How about musical chairs? We haven't even started with a sponsor yet. Here are the top five reasons why Kentucky should be the first state to vote. Okay. okay. All right. Number one, we, instead of caucuses, we have a primary election, and everybody knows what a primary election is. Because it's primary. People vote for their candidates, and there is a result. And you can count the votes and see who got the most votes. No coin flips, no uh, standing in the corner, no photographs of people, nothing like that, just votes. So that's number one. You started off on a, with a strong argument. Number two, Kentucky's only one state away from Washington. So if you have to impeach the sitting president, you can do that, and you can still fly over to Kentucky and uh, be there for evening campaigning. Wow. Not out in the middle of Actually, anywhere. and there are several direct flights to D.C. Yes. So, uh, well, not after impeachment hours, but still, yes, you're right. Well, there's an 8 p.m. There's an 8 p.m. You could fly to Kentucky from Washington, D.C., direct uh, into and the I mean, election it airport. it gets delayed so much, you could call it a 10 o'clock. Right? right, but that's reason number two. Number three, see, in Iowa, people go stand in the corner to vote for their candidate. Well, Kentuckians, we've been standing in the corner a long time. Well, sure. We, ever since elementary school. The and, other and, you thing, know, we're trained to do it. We're very good at it. And the other thing is we're used to being laughed at. Well, I don't like that so much. Well, I know, but but let's face it, you know, you, you everybody laughs at Kentucky all the time. So yeah, but, but uh, the problem is so they up. laugh at us for the wrong reason. Yeah, reasons. we wouldn't get upset. We wouldn't try to put together an app that doesn't work. We would just yeah, see that's with Kentucky. There's only one of the two of us that's a hillbilly right here, <laughs> and you're you're da- you're dangerous, treading dangerously here. All right, I will. you're about to end the caucus. Okay, all right. <laughs> here's here's another one. Kentucky has almost 1.5 million more voters than Iowa. We're we're uh, close to four and a half million. They're about 3.1. It's hard to argue we're more rural, but you know the funny thing is we probably are. Well, and you the, think the hollers about, separate us much more than their fields do. Right, and you think about it. Even though we have more voters, they actually, the, I mean, nobody's going to Fulton uh, County, uh, nobody's going to go to the Mississippi, and nobody's coming to Eastern Kentucky. They just don't. Right. So Kentucky winds up a- effectively being between Lexington and Bowling Green, Owensboro, and so there's just that central part. Now, if you pose with Coach Cal, you've got Eastern Kentucky. Maybe. Yeah, because I mean, multiple people pose with him. Yeah, but still, I think that's a good – so you don't have to drive over here. You, have you to, certainly don't have to go out in the western part to campaign in Kentucky because no one's ever gone out there before. But you do have to pose with him in a place where you can get on TV. 
Right, but that's that's again that's selection Louisville, Bowling Green, Owensboro area, uh, and uh, up north to Covington, and you could just stay in those lines. So see, it's much. Uh, you're not going to Biden is broke. Biden spent all of his money on Iowa. There's no way you can spend all your money on Kentucky. You could buy Kentucky for less than most of these campaigns have. So it's cheap. We've got proximity. We've got an understandable process. We're cheap, and we're our, we've got more people than they have. And then finally, Kentucky has had zero, count them, zero voting controversies in the past two elections, and that is two less controversies well, than Iowa does. I'm not entirely sure the blue side of the House would like that because we've been pretty red for the last two times. Well, I, well, Iowa's conservative. Oh, I know. No, yeah. I know they are too. Yeah, but I think uh, Kentucky has Democratic voters. So, we have so, a lot of Democratic so, voters. So, Tony, have you ever wondered— I mean, you ever stop and think, of all the things with the primary, there, I mean, there's a lot you can talk about as messed up. There's yes. a lot of things that could stand to be improved. The one thing that I just have never been able to understand is why we don't do it all on the same day. Why does it have to be Iowa, then New Hampshire, then this, and then this state, and then that, and then Super Tuesday, and then some other stragglers? I mean, there's a point where we let certain places help guide our decision-making process, and I can't imagine that's good. Well, and I, I can't imagine it's good if we let Iowa do it because they can't handle it. Well, and that's, that's what the Democratic well, yeah. Party is starting to think. I mean, at this point, we're going to have to have them switch over to tiddlywinks. Or something. I, I have no idea. Although that's a pretty complex game. It is, and I'm not sure it's reproducible. That's the other thing about Marbles, it. maybe? All right. And that's it. Uh, let me just tell you. Hey, I got one. a perfect one. All right. Jart. <laughs> All right, and so the candidates stand down there, exactly. and you throw the jar no, at the, the candidates. No, the candidates play against each other, and the winner gets the primary. And the survivor. I'm sorry, the, the winner. Sorry for whatever you want to say. All right, and I promise you that's it. We're going to get to health stuff. I got, I got, I, I do want to get healthy. to the sponsor this time uh, uh, because I think this is important. Uh, back, this was October 24th, 2016. Again, that was the last time Iowa messed up the Democratic primary. No, no, no. The last time was yesterday. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. The time before, and we were reported this on the show, Dr. Lisa Richardson, director of the CDC Division of Cancer Prevention and Control, talking about lung cancer. And she said, uh, this is a uh, promising time for improving our lung cancer numbers. Uh, keep in mind, nationally, more than 200,000 people are diagnosed with lung cancer and more than 150,000 die, 3,500 in the state of Kentucky, four times the second leading cause of cancer, which is colon cancer. And recent announcements, Rush Limbaugh, right? Yeah. And Rush Limbaugh uh, has uh, stage four lung cancer and, and uh, that, that it has a horrible, horrible prognosis. Uh, it is a very, very, very uh, deadly disease. Now, uh, they, she pointed out back in 2016, and we will point it out again, the most important thing that Americans can, who smoke can do to lower their risk for lung cancer is to quit smoking. It is very clear. This is startling how clear it is. Uh, about current with current smoking rates, uh, uh, almost 80 percent of America's population is immune from lung cancer. I, I mean, uh, effectively immune. Yeah, you could get it, uh, but it is extremely rare in non-smokers. So when you think about those uh, numbers, there 150,000 people dying, 200,000 people diagnosed, and again in Kentucky, the leading cause of cancer death. There are the vast majority, even in Kentucky, the vast majority of people will never get lung cancer. So the attack rate among smokers is astonishing. Yeah, but but Tony, let's let's talk for just a second about a non-smoker. Is that is that a person that has been uh, you know deemed kind of cancer-free and been not smoking for at least 10 years? 15. Is it 15 now? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. And so, 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 so if you really want to get into that, in that category, you got to stop now and wait 15 years. You do. There is something you can do in that 15 years, and that is to get yourself screened with a CAT scan. 
And so in the time we got left, let me just lay these numbers out. If you are age 55 to 80, this is U.S. Preventive Services Task Force numbers, age 55 to 80, you have smoked more than 30 years. Now, they do something called 30-pack years, but almost everybody who smokes smokes a pack of cigarettes a day. Right. So if you have smoked more than 30 years and if you have quit less than 15 years before, the U.S. Preventive Services Task Force says you should be screened. Screened with a CAT scan. Simple thing to do. Get in the uh, climb in the CAT scanner. They do a real quick uh, CAT scan. The uh, radiation dosing less than the the CAT scans are using in the emergency room and so forth, and they can cut your risk of dying of lung cancer down by around twenty percent. It's been consistently shown. We'll talk about it more in a second fractional portion. So the number one thing when we're talking about lung cancer, the number one thing is to to stop smoking. The Surgeon General. Uh, in his report, he went after health care providers, and, and maybe I'm a little defensive about this, because they are not telling people to stop smoking. Health Matters is telling you stop to stop smoking. smoking. This is not that difficult. This is not cerebral. Remember Health Matters' number one rule of pulmonology, anything, anything you set fire to and stick in your mouth is bad for you. Well, I mean, that's bad, but, but even if you breathe in the smoke from something burning— I mean, I'm sure if you sat around a campfire all the time and took in all the smoke, yeah. it wouldn't be good. The Fact smoke is, out of your lungs. In, in Asia, where they have uh, open fires in, in uh, houses, you know, to warm and to cook over, uh, yeah, they have they get that smoke. Yeah. The thing in Kentucky is, even if you don't smoke, everybody around you does, and right. that can be a problem in some places that don't have an indoor smoking ban. But the first thing is stop smoking. The second thing is get scre- get screened. The third thing is take a break. We'll be back with our second fractional portion. You're listening to Health Matters on Moorhead State Public Radio. Support for MSPR comes from the Northeast Kentucky Area Health Education Center located at St. Clair Healthcare in Moorhead. The Northeast AHEC connects students to careers, professionals to communities, and communities to better health. The Northeast AHEC strives to improve the supply and distribution of healthcare professionals through community and academic educational partnerships. More information is available online at neahec.org. Hello and welcome back. This is the second fractional portion of Health Matters. I'm Rick Phillips. I'm Dr. Tony Weaver. This is a funny thing happened on the way to the caucus show. We are still flabbergasted at how we Iowa... lost the results, Tony. <laughs> how they could possibly have uh, done this uh, this bad for two consecutive elections. You know, and how hey, long I, you know, I'm we sorry, allow this Tony, to continue? I, I don't usually do any political bashing here, but I'm just going to go out and say that between the electronic medical record and the Iowa caucuses, I don't trust Democrats with technology. I just don't. That's fair. If you are a healthcare provider, <laughs> I think you know what Rick's talking about. I just don't trust uh, you. This has made our jobs much more difficult, and it was yeah, probably why the Republicans stick with walls and stuff. It's not. <laughs> These are tough. How is it that we can use Watson to help diagnose? You know. Uh, watch the flu the flu move around the U.S. and come up with all these great, you know, high-tech things that I see every year at CES, and we can't figure out how to put one vote to one Social Security number. We can't, as a nation, we can't figure out how to track one unique, valid person's vote. That's fair. And how easy is that? They, well, the credit card companies would tell you you can track a person all around the world. Well, they track... Hundreds of transactions a day per person. I mean, of course, there is the identity theft and uh, fraud that goes on. So they're not perfect at it, but they're certainly better than the government. I mean, is yeah, right but now. I mean, again, if there's already a vote on file and you go to vote and it says you already voted, guess what? You should ask somebody. Our sponsor. <laughs> 
Oh, keep moving. Our sponsors, Lung Cancer Screening, reminding you, you screen, I screen. We all screen for lung cancer. We were talking last time from the CDC, 200,000 people diagnosed with lung cancer, 150,000 die in the United States every year. That's 25% of all deaths from cancer come from lung cancer, far and away uh, almost twice as many in the state of Kentucky. Well, actually four times as many in the state of Kentucky and almost twice as many all over as any other type of cancer. Now, the reason this is so is that it is very prevalent in smokers, almost vanishing rare in non-smokers who are not exposed to secondhand smoke. Now, I know there are a lot of people who are ready to check me on that and say, well, my grandmother, uh, she uh, never smoked and she got uh, lung cancer. And I'd say, well, how about your grandfather? Because it doesn't matter where the smoke comes from. If you breathe in smoke, that is smoking. And I'm sorry that it's that way. At any rate, though, if you don't smoke, your spouse doesn't smoke, you're not exposed to smoke, your chances of getting lung cancer are not zero, but they're pretty darn close. And yet 200,000 people diagnosed a year. Now, the number one thing, as we talked about last time, stop smoking. This is uh, if your doctor didn't tell you, if your uh, nurse practitioner, if your if your healthcare provider didn't tell you to stop smoking, we at Health Matters will step in and tell you stop smoking. This is the number one thing you can do to protect your health. Cigarette smokers die young. Not always. I'm sure you had a grandfather that lived to age 90 and smoked, but I will tell you after seeing this time and time again in my clinic and in my work in hospice, I will tell you cigarette smokers die young and they don't die well. So please stop smoking. Now, if you have stopped smoking less than 15 years ago, if you are age 55 to 80, if you smoked for more than 30 years, and let's face it, who is going to start smoking at age 30? Nobody. I mean, smokers start as teenagers I, I, I because con- the tobacco companies go after. Them. I got to confess something, Tony. You did because of the military. No, I started at like 17 because of the military. Okay. But if the Surgeon General came out today and said, oh, my gosh, we made a mistake. Those things are actually pretty healthy. I'd go start again. Isn't that sad? It was a, it was a habit I enjoyed. I gave it you, up because of the health reasons. I had yeah. to. But I'm telling you, it was not something well, that was I – mean, it was enjoyable. And I, if it wasn't so darn dangerous, I think, you know, I could see a bunch of – No, I, I understand up. that. Because but you're right. I mean, in, in the way it's presented itself today, being as deadly as it is, it's nobody's yeah. going to pick it up. And, and the, I want you to realize – Shouldn't you, pick it up, too. When you inhale something – you can get it into your brain faster than any other way. That's Sm- why people like, smoke uh, crack. Yeah, uh, crack cocaine uh, or, or uh, uh, even uh, alcohol, uh, vaporized alcohol. Uh, it will get to your brain faster than any other way. And so, if it is a pleasurable chemical, and that would be nicotine, that would be cocaine, that would be uh, other stimulants, getting it to uh, inhale. And this is how it works. Otherwise, no one would start smoking if it was just fumes and fire. That, that there's no joy in that. I, I understand what you're saying, and uh, that's why. Uh, you start as a teenager because it's cool, and then you find well, out this is your brain really likes this. But I think if you if you translate that into another thing, I think that's why there's such a concern for flavored vaping, is because the flavoring is what kind of gets you as a child or a kid, a young person, and then the vaping turns into a need for that oral right. fixation, which then turns into a cigarette when you don't have them. And they stuff them with nicotine. So that Absolutely. while you're getting candy, you're also, your brain's getting, getting the addicted. nicotine. Everybody's happy until you need another hit. Um, now, uh, if you have stopped, remember about uh, smoke, about uh, lung cancer screening, and I'll remind you again. Uh, 55 to 80, according to the uh, U.S. Preventive Services Task Force, according to Medicare, 55 to 77. If you have smoked more than 30 years, if you have quit less than 15, 
Uh, you may be eligible for lung cancer screening. Talk this over with your healthcare provider. It is a CAT scan done once a year. Has to be done regularly. But if it is done regularly, we just have from January 31st, they're reporting the Nelson study, which is in Netherlands and Belgium, 15,000 people, and the mortality rate from lung cancer dropped by 24%. The U.S. National Lung Screening Trial, the mortality dropped by 20%. We're seeing huge drops in lung cancer mortality in people who are screened. It's very simple. You pick this cancer up when it's small, before you're coughing, before you're coughing up blood, before you're losing weight. You pick it up when it's small, you cut it out, you're cured. You wait till you have symptoms and you're not cured and you're going to die. Mm. And so this is absolutely the second best thing you can do. The best thing, stop smoking. The second best thing, uh, get screened for lung cancer. We're going to keep recommending this. It looks like it is starting to have an effect. Uh, you have something this good, uh, and you have uh, a cancer this horrific, and two things. You can prevent it from happening by stopping smoking. You can detect it early with uh, uh, CAT scans. Then this is uh, this is a we can do better, and I think we are, and I'm kind of excited about this. All right, so the Iowa caucuses, we need to rethink how we elect our presidents because this is not working. So I did a rethink show, and we're now more than halfway through the second fractional portion, and we just get to the rethink, but okay. You know, Rick needed to say something. I'm not going to pick on Rick. I mean, he sometimes there, he just spouts off things that I, don't make any sense, but we have to let him do that because it's his show too, mostly, well, and um, I'm but still partly you. his. And he is big. Uh, that's uh, one of the problems. He is not teeny-weeny, not itsy-bitsy. He is rip-roaring Rick, uh, and I am afraid of him. January 24th, uh, this one, Rick, this, this should interest you, uh, Radiology Rethinking Lead Aprons. This is the American Association of Physicists in Medicine. These are the guys that sort of are in charge of the uh, radiation exposure right. with x-rays. They feel... That's the uh, shielding that we do. We try to shield uh, ovaries and, and uh, genitals. Actually doesn't do any good. The best thing is distance. Uh, this is what they found. First of all, the amount of radiation needed for an x-ray is about one-twentieth of what it was in the 1950s. We have made vast, vast progress at reducing the amount of radiation it takes to get a film. If you cover the genitals or the baby then what happens is you do not protect against what we the secondary radiation, the radiation that is reflected. In fact, you pin it in. So you, ra- you take an X-ray of something, all the scattered radiation winds up bouncing off that lead apron, and you may increase the level of radiation exposure. That's one problem. The second problem is if that thing laps into the X-ray field, the machine is going to try to see through it, and the machine is going to recalibrate and put in more radiation. Right. So there are two ways that it could actually increase the amount of radiation you get. But that's uh, what you're typically talking about is fluoroscopy, right? I mean, yes. you're talking about. So there are two types of radiology scans. There's a what we call just a rad, uh, which is basically a, a burst of X-ray that goes through the body, hits a piece of digital film, gets translated into an image, and that's something that's not controlled by the exposure level isn't controlled dynamically while it's happening. It's kind of a you know it happens based on the size of the human and the you know but the fluoroscopy you actually take live radiation you let it run for seconds you know at a time and then it can adjust the the the, the intensity of it based on what it's getting on what we call the image intensifier or the thing that the the x-ray hits so it's uh 
So that, yeah, I, I can see where that would that be. That one's adjustable. Now, no evidence, decades, uh, thousands, millions of studies, uh, no evidence of measurable harm to ovaries or testicles after radiation exposure. As a matter of fact, even with a CAT scan, no evidence that fetuses are harmed. So the point is, you know, it's time to rethink this. We've got potential harm from it. We've got no known advantage from it. And so you're going to see, I think, a campaign to start getting rid of the shielding. Now, you know, we're not telling you to, to walk and ignore the shielding in the doctor's office. We're not actually, psychologically, we're not ready for that. You know, we've done this for so long. People are so frightened of x-rays. And uh, it turns out that the amount of x-rays that dentists do is about as much as medical places sure. do. It's a 50-50, although they're different type of x-rays, obviously. So we've got a lot of work to do, a lot of groundwork to do. But we at Health Matters want you to know, just like I think uh, Iowa has a lot a lot of work to do on their uh, primary system. We've got a lot of uh, of rethinking to do about the shielding. But it may be in the future when you get an x-ray, the tech will not shield your ovaries, your testicles, or the baby because it turns out it really doesn't help any. It could potentially cause harm. This is a new idea. Several groups, including, uh, let me see, I saw one here. This has been uh, endorsed not only by the American College of Radiology, but also the Image Gently Alliance, which promotes safe pediatric imaging. They're saying, look, you know, even with kids, this uh, shielding stuff is not very so, good. So let me get this straight, Tony. When you're in the room, let's just say, for instance, you're doing the fluoroscopy. You're wearing a lead apron because your day-to-day work exposure to fluoroscopy is bad. That's so we want to limit that. Right. The patient has also got some shielding over their private parts for these reasons we're talking about. Because we don't want to expose them any more than... And so I think we're talking about eliminating that, right? Right. Not... The workers' overall lead apron they wear. Now you know. I mean, we, you, you, and we have been talking about how we don't trust the political process. We don't trust the people in authority. Now imagine what it's going to feel like when you go in for an X-ray and they say, "Oh, you don't need this, but I do." Oh, I know. That's absolutely what the physicists have said. But as I said, that is, it's going to take a while. I think. Yeah, and I, I can certainly see that. I mean, I think you know. I mean. People who work in or around x-rays in a hospital are regulated and have to wear film badges, and these film badges grab your exposure levels over your lifetime. And, you know, one bad exposure that sends that up, you know, I remember when I used to work with the linear accelerators, which are for cancer treatment, and those things can put out massive amounts of radiation. And if you accidentally do something stupid and get your badge exposed or get yourself exposed, I mean, you could actually not be able to work in radiology the rest of your life. I mean, so you got to be there. I mean, I have to believe people are going to be very sensitive to this. And you're right. right, There's going to be, wait a minute, it's good for you, but it's not good for me or. Yeah. yeah. For most of us, even kids, the exposure we get uh, from from a single diagnostic film uh, is not enough uh, to warrant the shielding. And as we mentioned, the shielding is not a great way to protect yourself anyway. Well, and the the same exact thing is, is part of why we've been talking about, you know, I think over the years we've talked about these whole body CT scans, you know, the same thing. They're going to expose you to more radiation than a typical scan. And if you get them, if you start scanning yourself once a year, you're going to expose yourself in the same fashion as all these people that work around x-rays, right? So right. Uh, it's, 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 you got to limit your exposure. And we That's be- the key thing, I think. Rather than trying to shield, the, the, the best thing is to use them for specific purposes and minimize the radiation. It is not a, uh, it is not a, a fun thing. Uh, one of those purposes remind you again uh, from the uh, u.s preventive services task force one of those uh, purposes as rick was talking about is uh getting a scan for lung cancer that pays off all right next rethink 
uh, service animals on airplanes. Service animals everywhere. Yep. Now, actually, you know, obviously, service animals have a purpose, right? They they were created in a way for a purpose to help people. The problem is, is it's pretty common to see something that's got a service dog cape and could not be a service dog if they tried. And that, I think that's where the root of this is coming from because I can't tell you how many times, and this is particularly bad on the university campuses, right? You you can tell when a dog is well-behaved. You can tell when a dog is a service dog and has been professionally trained to be a service dog. When you're having to hold the leash taut from, you know, when, when the dog is dragging you around campus, it's not a service dog. Yep. And I think that's what you're about to get at. Yep. January 24th, the U.S. Transportation Department posed, giving, proposed giving airlines the power to bar emotional support animals from cabins and limit the definition of a service animal to a trained dog. Monkeys, pigs, ferrets, hedgehogs, amphibians, reptiles, goats. All do, do you remember the show where we talked about the second most popular service animal in, in the U.S. now? Do you remember this? It was, it was it was probably five, seven years ago. We talked about it on the show. I'll never forget it because I thought it was one of our more hilarious moments. Is this the horse? The mini horse. Yes. The mini horses. And because and and they live 40 years. You only got to train one in your lifetime. Uh, the transportation department wants comment on whether it should allow miniature horses to serve as service animals. Can you imagine if you go to get on your airplane and a mini horse comes walking down the aisle? Well, they mentioned the service animal. It, if And if taking a long flight, uh, the service animal has to be able to have the ability either to not relieve itself or relieve itself in a sanitary manner. That is, no service animal is going to take a dump in the aisle of a plane, hopefully. I mean, this is the well, you would argue you could argue that the mini horse could actually wear a diaper, as most animals, most dogs can't. Yeah. You know, they, they figured out how to capture a horse walking down. I mean, parades have, have been benefiting from that for years. By the way, I, I was in <laughs> high school. I was in the marching band. Very, very Oh, familiar. no. Were you in very, the front of the band or the back fr- of the band? Oh, what do you think? I mean, the horses, they you were- You were a drummer, were, too, so you are out front. I, I, was, I was in front of the band and behind the horses. We were always behind the horses. And you had something that kept you from looking down at the ground. That's true. We had so a drum on. So you just felt where you were. Yes. Literally. That feels warm. I knew. I just knew. <laughs> <laughs> My wife warned me about you. <laughs> She said, "Now you start. You get into this. You can't. Uh, you can't go eighth grade. And then here we are. We're well, there. I mean, eighth Tony, grade. come on. We were going to go eighth grade before this topic, <laughs> right? But, but I mean, honestly. So the que- here's the real question: What's the root problem with having the animal on the plane? I think is it the person next to you is. I mean, what is it? Is it well, a- I think there's several things. I think the biggest thing and they've I, and had. I'm, I'm trying to. Yeah, I understand. I, the biggest thing they've had is if, as you mentioned, if these animals are not trained, if you simply bring your pet dog because it calms you down, then your pet dog gets in a fight with another dog, and, and there is chaos on an airplane. And nobody's calm. And so uh, they they are tired of animals of all stripes, literally, in the the airplane. The animals defecate. The animals fight with each other. They uh, annoy the other passengers. I mean, a service dog uh, has, first of all. It is well-trained, as you mentioned, but the other thing is it does certain things. You can't get a service dog just because you like dogs. You know, you have to have something that that service dog does. And so they're just trying to limit uh, this sort of free-for-all we get when uh, there there was a peacock on a plane uh, that sort of went nuts. That type of thing, the airlines just, you can't have that. That's about as bad as a caucus with a bad app. Tell me about it. Yeah. I got a minute. Uh, one other rethink. We've got to rethink how we provide health care, how we provide health care insurance. This was January 29th. Well, you, and, and we're going to rethink this in a minute? Sure. 
uh, Reuters Health. Over the past two decades, the proportion of adults without insurance has dropped from 14.8%, I'm sorry, to 14.8% from 16.9%. About a 2% drop in the people uh, who uh, don't have insurance. During the same doesn't hurt period, that it's a federal mandate that you have it. Well, it's not, but the mandate's gone. But you're right. Uh, I mean that that helped uh, expanding and Medicaid doing that. But the problem is, during that same pr- period of time, the proportion of adults unable to afford doctor visits climbed four percent from eleven point four up to fifteen point six. So I got insurance. I just can't use it. Yeah. Well, the you're, that's exactly it, isn't it? The insurance is so bad that it doesn't pay for anything, you still can't afford to see the doctor. And what is the insurance for if you can't afford to see the doctor? So it ends up being just really there for a catastrophic reason. For a catastrophic reason, and also on paper, you're an insured person, and so we don't have to worry about you anymore. Speaking of not having to worry about people anymore. That's right. We're going to take a break and not worry about anything. You're listening to Health Matters on Warhead State Public Radio. Support for MSPR comes from the Northeast Kentucky Area Health Education Center, located at St. Clair Healthcare in Moorhead. The Northeast AHEC connects students to careers, professionals to communities, and communities to better health. The Northeast AHEC strives to improve the supply and distribution of healthcare professionals through community and academic educational partnerships. More information is available online at neahec.org. Hello and welcome back. This is the third and final fractional portion of Health Matters. I'm Rick Phillips. I'm Dr. Tony Weaver, Rootin' Tootin' Radio Health Advantage. See, I like the way it sounds. I mean, you right away you think she was. You were pretty rooting tootin 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 during tootin the break. Radio health evangelist, weren't you? Yeah, Rick and I are talking about we, caucuses. We and actually got politics. into some politics, and it's you know we're gonna have to kiss and make up afterwards. <laughs> this is the a funny thing happened on the way to the caucus show. The good thing is I drove him over here. Yeah, so I've got that. <laughs> if he wants a ride home, he'll. Curb my enthusiasm. Our sponsor for the final time, Lung Cancer Screening. You screen, I screen. We all screen for lung cancer. I'd rather screen for ice cream. I know. Uh, that's what we usually do. But lung cancer is more, will save your life. And ice cream probably won't save your well, life. Well, not you think getting about it. lung cancer will save your life. All right, life. so just a reminder, January 31st, they finally reported out that Nelson study in the Netherlands and Belgium. And once again, just like the... National Lung Screening Trial in the U.S., they found that people who had CAT scans of their lungs uh, done once a year had a 24% lower lung cancer mortality than smokers who did not get those scans. And the same thing, uh, it was 20% in the U.S. study. There have been several smaller trials that have had varying results. But basically, when you put 10,000 or more people uh, who smoke together, and you start screening them, you can see their death rates drop. What the interesting thing was, back on January 8th, and you remember we reported on this, the United States, between 2016 to 2017, that is five years to seven years after we reported, after the National Lung Screening Trial was reported out, we saw our largest ever single-year drop in cancer deaths, 2.2% plunge, and it was mainly due to a sharp decline in lung cancer. Now, they immediately seized on the idea that uh, more people stop smoking, which is true. I mean, this is absolutely the way to prevent lung cancer. But I think also we are starting to see tip of the iceberg of what we can do for with screening for lung cancer. We have 3,500 deaths uh, in the state of Kentucky due to lung cancer, a little bit less than 3,500. Uh, if we cut 20% of those deaths off, 700 people we saved, that would be the equivalent of curing Breast cancer. Wow. That's that's the numbers we're talking about. This is absolutely huge. Just a reminder, if you're age 55 to 80, 55 to 77 if you're on Medicare, and you have smoked 
more than 30 years, quit less than 15, and you would be willing to have surgery if they found a cancer, then talk to your healthcare provider uh, because annual screening with a CAT scan is a fairly easy thing to do that has a huge payoff in lowering your risk of dying of lung cancer. That's our sponsor, Screening for Lung Cancer. And by the way, Mr. Surgeon General, don't smoke. He says we are not telling our patients to quit smoking, so we are telling our patients, quit smoking. Now, we talked last time about a couple of changes, and we I just shot one in there at the end. We are probably in the next, uh, probably the next five years, we're going to stop shielding for a lot of routine x-rays, dental x-rays in particular. Pl- we call them plain films where they take a picture, not the uh, CAT scans, which I guess we're not shielding. Well, we can't shield for CAT scans, so we're already not shielding for them, right? right. Yeah. We'll have to pick and choose our x-rays carefully, but it does not appear that diagnostic x-rays uh, done intermittently have a huge effect on the, your risk of uh, your ovaries or your or testicles of, of uh, having kids with birth defects or on the unborn children. The second thing we talked about was uh, about health insurance, how health insurance does not seem to equal uh, the ability to pay for health care. And, and what is health insurance for? In fact, we have increased the number of people with insurance, but we actually have decreased the number of people who can afford a doctor visit. One of the problems, and this is where it gets tricky when you're trying to be uh, to uh, enact policy, is that the more money is available, the more money gets grabbed, right. essentially. Uh, the pharmaceutical injuries do, uh, industry is doing it. The doctors are doing it. The hospitals are doing it. There's no good guys here as far as the amount of money. We pay way too much money for our health care. Our system is is way overfunded, and and uh, unfortunately, we've uh, we've created a system where the more money you put in, the more money people take out. You can pick your villain. I, I, I've, none of them, in my mind, are uh, completely clean on this. And then finally, we did talk about service animals, uh, that we will have to rethink our definition of service animals, and an emotional support animal is really not going to be able to cli- get on an airplane with you and uh, fly a transatlantic. I think eventually we will say we'll have some sensibility about this. Next up, a couple of other rethinks. And Rick, I stayed high tech because I I, uh, knew you would be uh, on and I was hoping I could keep you awake. Uh, This was January 16th. uh, And this is about touchless patient monitoring. 649 companies presenting wearables, that is, again, these uh, things that you put on that have electronics embedded in them, at the Digital Health Conference and Consumer Electronics Show in 2020 in Las Vegas, and our friend Rick was there. Correct. That's when he became a rip-roaring radio co-host because he is out in Vegas, baby. Highfalutin. Highfalutin's a good one. It's not alliterative, but I like it anyway. I'll let you. I'll, I'll let that, that one ride. At any rate, well, I don't even know what that word means. Yeah. Now, what we're talking about, you may remember there was. I think it was uh, one of the maybe it was Apollo thirteen, one of those movies. No, it was the right stuff. That's where it was. They showed the astronauts got tired of NASA monitoring all their no, vital that signs. Was, no, that was Apollo thirteen. It was, and they pulled the wires off. Right. They pulled the wires. And off. the guy says, "Doc, I think you just got a small mutiny on your hands. Yeah. Don't worry about it." Right. Uh, contactless technology would give you compliance. Jackie Finn, the person, this was uh, Medscape did this. She said, well, it'll give you compliance because, again, if you, if you put it into the clothing, people are not going to, they'll be less likely to take their clothes off as they would be to pull out wires. Patients wouldn't have physical control over being monitored. They wouldn't be able to remove the monitoring devices themselves. Uh, but uh, it is privacy and security are a concern about that. And, and I think where you see some of that's going to go initially is in baby monitors, right? Yeah. So so you put, you know, baby in a onesie and now you got monitoring built right in or 
in some cases there's the touchless is not even in the the clothing it's actually in camera systems and watching for movement it's it's pretty amazing stuff so here's what they want to do six physiologic parameters early warning signs for for a change in a person's health their respiratory rate their level of consciousness their oxygen level uh, their blood pressure their temperature and their heart rate and if you use infrared technology sensors video cameras and machine learning they put together a system that covered four out of the six. Blood pressure is tricky. Very. Patient movement is a big one. People had to sit really still because, again, you're looking at the skin color. Facial re- recognition technology needs improvement. It's a little scary, though. You know, uh, uh, what they're saying is the hospital room monitors your presence and notes changes. When you think you're there alone, both the wearables but also the walls right. are watching. Absolutely. And so they mentioned, well, there's, uh, they have a big future, but we're not there yet. Infrastructure is lacking, not, not ready to integrate into what, we, into what we call patient care portal just yet. But um, uh, I think uh, that, is, that is a rethink because usually you think, well, if I have an irregular heart rhythm, I guess I've got to go uh, get a wire uh, attached to my uh, chest, and that goes to a tape recorder or something, and, and uh, it right. monitors my heartbeat. Right. This would be the room itself is monitoring your heartbeat as soon as you come in. I think they'll be able to do more and more of that. And I think, you know, I mean, honestly, that has a place. It, it's it's hard because some of this has a place and some of it can be used for, I don't know, maybe not the greatest of reasons, but but wouldn't this be great for your elderly parent? Well, they mentioned I mean, that. that I mean, know. that's the thing is this this is, this will have its place in, in monitoring people who can't monitor themselves. Right. And, you, and, and they're in a remote setting, right? So there are certainly good uses you know, think about doing, you know, granted, there's probably a ton of ways to, to monitor the, the, the astronauts, but you could very likely just monitor them without having to wear packs constantly. Uh, there's there, there are certainly positive and good uses, but, you know, like all technology, there's an evil component to it, right? It's something we got to think about because uh, we have the potential now. You mentioned the facial recognition stuff was astonishing. Oh, no, it's, it's uh, crazy good. Yeah, a lidar, right? It, yeah, lidar, and it's not—it's not that they recognize Tony Weaver, they were, but they can recognize and make you. They can tell that you're a unique object from me, and it's not—and you're not a box, right? You're not an inanimate object. You're but actual, once once that inanimate object has been identified as me, they could track me. Absolutely, yeah. And without me having any idea, it's not that uh, you know I wear a hoodie. It doesn't matter, right? I don't know how much you could go, but they they probably could figure you out with a hoodie. Now, depending on how much of you is exposed, I mean, obviously, you put a mask over yourself. They still may be able to tie you to gate, to your mm-hmm. walk. I mean, there's still some areas where they could probably get close to figuring out who you are. Yeah. I just pointed out, I think ski masks are more probably more used, they're less used for skiing right. than they are for hiding. Well, they, yeah, they, they keep your face warm, but then they also hide you, too. Yeah, so I don't know what uh, – we should probably rename them, just right. throwing that out there. But you don't have to do that. You can you can just ignore me. So, so you know, there, there's some cool, you know, there's some cool technology with, with the touchless monitoring. All right, then next up, and, and again, we're uh, just following a theme here. Uh, this was February 3rd, and the researchers at Dartmouth-Hitchcock and the University of Massachusetts in Boston got a four-year, $1.2 million grant from the National Institute on Aging. They're hoping to develop a system that would use machine and deep learning techniques to identify changes in speech patterns to determine if someone is at risk for developing dementia or Alzheimer's. Again, they're looking to see people who have difficulty searching for words, expressing themselves. They notice a change in a person's speech over time. Machine learning, Rick. I mean, we've used that twice now in these uh, two things. Um, It's a buzzword right now. 
it's not an it's it's legitimate, right? So so you can use mathematical algorithms to determine what is a norm and then what is moving towards abnormal, right? So I can see when things are two or three standard deviations away from a control. And, and if you can apply that same technology or that same uh, concept to, you know, other things, not necessarily a math problem, then, then you can, again, you can learn from behavior. Um, so it is possible. I think what we find in the, in the actual business right now with, with the whole AIML, right? So the uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning, right? So you can kind of fake the artificial intelligence. You can give it some level of intelligence and then it will learn from that. But it never really learns more than you kind of gave it parameters for, right? At least that's what we're seeing today. I mean, there are some elements where it can truly learn, but it's really, that's just learning. This temperature in this room is always 52 degrees. And boy, for some reason it went up to 62. That's abnormal. Let me tell somebody. The system in theory would aim to pick up changes in a person's speech pattern, their intonation, and their lexicon. Uh, but researchers have to figure out how to make the system work for different languages, when there are more than one person in the room, or when someone doesn't speak clearly. They're just pragmatic and practical issues. Uh, what they want to do is to get to the point where Alexa may wind up calling you and telling you that your mother, your grandmother, is doesn't appear to be doing well. Once again, you can do that through speech patterns and uh, voice, or you can do it through the monitoring. I think one way or another, we're going to have that. Uh, and obviously the thing that the question comes up, would you give your kids access to your uh, health information that's coming off your walls and off your uh, personal Alexa? I mean, you know, Tony, I'm, I'm one of the weird, weird technology-friendly Republicans. Now, I believe in strong passwords. I believe in good crypto, I mean, good cybersecurity techniques. I mean, I believe in protecting yourself. But to some extent, being part of a big data set doesn't scare me. Okay. And they said a huge challenge is privacy. You need to think about these things. And I don't, they didn't really give us any framework for thinking about them. Older adults that may be at risk or whose family members are concerned about them need to have buy-in. And certainly, I think part of it is we, we have to decide as a society how we shape these things. What safeguards need to be in place before you allow cameras, sensors, and things like that in your home? We've had the, the, the ring system, uh, the doorbell system has been hacked. Right. Uh, and so instead of protecting your home, it actually invites people into your <clears throat> home. But, but I think, Tony, the thing that gets me is, so we're, we're going to take a technology that, that, you know, I could use, for instance, as my parents' age, I could take a system that's, that's built for helping me understand what's going on with their life so that I can let them live as an independent life as possible without having to intervene too much. But we're going to say I can't use that technology because it meets some privacy criteria re relative to a cybersecurity complaint, right? So I get hacked. You just said gets hacked. The reason it gets hacked isn't because of the device, although the device could be more secure. But also, you got to have good – people don't even think of them. We could talk a whole show on this. But you probably have never thought about how to set up your home router to protect you. You don't even know how to. No, I don't. Nope, and you're you're probably in the massive majority of people. I am I am probably one out of two hundred people that actually put a firewall on my house and actually protect the massive number of devices I have inside my house connected. So first off, China doesn't get into my house. You know, they don't get in to even be able to hack said device. So I, I think there's some really there's some things as a society we're gonna have to get better at before we start blaming the other thing. Not saying the other thing doesn't have a problem. 
I'm just saying we can put technology that can help us use things in the right way so that I have access to that technology to help me with my parents. Right. And my counter is no one has ever explained to me about how to do set up my router to ensure security. And uh, I I would expect my router to, Would you you ever, ever buy a house without a lockable front door? I would, but I know that. I know it's not locked. How's your internet any different? Well, because I can look at that door and say, gee whiz, anybody could open that door. I did not know that anybody could get through my router. You... Our generation and our parents' generation get that pass. The generations below us do not get that pass. Shamar, you are listening to this, and apparently Rick has revoked your pass. Uh, and they so don't. You, don't get you it. cannot play ostrich head, or what is it? What's the one that sticks their head in the sand? Yeah, ostrich. You can't play that role anymore. You've got to understand what your cybersecurity needs. So I see that, and it, and the payoff then becomes. I will tell you though that I, I promise you. Uh, if I install a bunch of security cameras in my home to prove to my kids that I'm okay living alone, it's not going to work. <laughs> I am erratic enough that as soon as my kids see the output of whatever these monitors are, they're going to say, oh, my gosh, we've got to get the old man out of there now. So I, I can't see how this is going to be any advantage to me uh, if I want to stay alone in, in my home. I think it's not, they're going to see It's not me. The, the advantage isn't to you. The no, advantage it's not. <laughs> is your kids can leave you there as long as you can be safe with yourself. I'm telling you, as soon as they see that video, they're going to pull me out of there. Well, yeah, but that's uh, not the video's <laughs> fault. Fair enough. <laughs> Don't off. blame the video. All right, get us off the air, Rick. Special thanks to our Morehead State Public Radio producer, Shamari Mosley, and to Eric Bilbrey, who wrote our Health Matters theme song, and to you, our loyal radio fans. Remember to show your support for Health Matters by visiting our digital empire. To listen to the show, go to WMKY.org or visit us on Facebook. Just do a search for HM Radio Show. For our radio crew and the supporting folks at the Northeast AHEC, thanks for listening to our show. And remember these comments from the Democratic political campaigns regarding Health Matters. The Health Matters disarray dealt a huge black eye to Kentucky, which was already struggling to defend its coveted position on the primary calendar. Health Matters listeners grew more furious as the show wore on with no significant The show literally had no verified results when it airs, so we won't know anything until next Thursday. Our listeners have demanded to be allowed into the auditing process to restore their confidence in the show. There were several irregularities in the second fractional portion that have not been explained. State officials want to assure you our show has not been hacked. It it just does not work very well. This is simply a reporting issue. WMKY has not been hacked. Our listeners deserve a full explanation and relevant information regarding methods of quality control our show is using and an opportunity to respond before any further health information is released. Many of our listeners think that every single second that passes where they don't get any health information is concerning. According to Bernie Sanders, democracy dies in the darkness. So does everything else. (laughs) It's true. This fiasco means the end of health radio is a significant American event. The rest of the country is already losing its patience with Health Matters anyway, and this cooks our goose. You're going to make me say this. The real winner today was Donald Trump, who got to watch our show wallow in a mess. A lot of people tuned into this show today and fought their hearts out for nothing. Whatever you do, do not take this stuff lying down. Get out this week, make a healthy change in your life, and tune in next week for more exciting news from the world of medical research on Moorhead State of the Radio. Support for Health Matters on MSPR comes from the Northeast Kentucky Area Health Education Center located at St. Clair Healthcare in Moorhead. 
Additional information on the Northeast AHEC is available online at neahec.org.